Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Pastor Ben Pitney continues our series called One Love with the message titled, Prayer, Life is War and God is Sovereign. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Okay, we're in this series about spiritual warfare, a battle, war, right? A battle for one love. God wants to be loved. He wants to be the only one that is loved. You know, there's all kinds of byproducts when you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, but it's about loving him first and only him. And so there's this battle between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of of God. And we're right in the middle of this battle. So take out your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. You're in Ephesians chapter 6. Now we've been there quite a bit. I've been kind of tearing that up for a while now as we're talking about this battle, but I'm saving the best for last, okay? So as we kind of wind this down, we're going to talk about prayer today. In particular, prayer because life is war. Life in Christ is war. It's a battle. And God is sovereign. Now, I'm going to mess with some of you today, I think, because this sovereignty thing gets people all crazy, okay? It's not just reserved for academics. Um, We need to address the idea and the concepts and the truth about God's sovereignty. So I'm going to talk about it today. But we're going to talk about how life is war when it comes to life in Christ, and we're going to talk about our place in it. So we've been placed there on purpose in the middle of this battle. God has given us responsibility. We have things to do and things to be. He's left Satan alive on purpose. He doesn't want a bunch of Pinocchios. He wants us to depend on him. And so he's included us in his purposes and his mission. He loves us and cares about us deeply and wants real relationship, okay? Not just a bunch of robots. So when we're talking about those things, we can get really focused on our mission and what we're supposed to do, and that's important. But there are things that are bigger and that are greater than us and our mission. And among those things, I believe, is prayer. Prayer is key to everything, and yet we're really bad at it. And if the church is going to come together and mobilize in unity, then prayer is the pathway to that mobilization. Our role as the church is to be united. We are united in Christ, but unity is something that is difficult to bring about because we're rebellious people. And we like our autonomy. We like to be individuals. We don't like people telling us what to do or how to do it. It is true. And so um, if the church is going to come together and mobilize, then uh, we got to get serious about prayer. If we're going to become inspired people that pray, then we got to become radical, actually, in prayer. Prayer is radical. We don't treat it like that. So here's how we're going to begin. There's two things that must undergird prayer. Life's got to be understood as war. We've been talking about that forever. We're going to actually talk about it more today. God must be believed to be sovereign. 
Now, we compartmentalize certain things about that, and I'll get to that. So if we're to summarize this, prayer has an important place in this life of war, and God is sovereign in our worldview of this war. That's the way it has to be. Let's talk about life being war. Again, it's utterly impossible for us to get a handle actually on prayer. That's really the red dot in the middle of the target today. Until we know that life is war, and the stakes are really high, higher than nuclear um, threat. You know, we think that that's big. It is. Or any disaster in the world today, the pandemics and every other hurricane and everything across the planet, those are huge. But there's much greater threat out there. The stakes are that are in play today in our communities and among unreached people of the world are far worse than anything that's happened so far in this world. We always refer, if we want to talk about something that was really bad, really terrible, we talk about Hitler. He was the worst, right? That's the way we go. But there's far worse things than him. The stakes are high. And the reason that we have to talk about God being sovereign is because we wouldn't have any confidence that he would win the war if he were not sovereign. So your, your first point here under life is war, here it comes if you're filling in the blanks. If God doesn't rule, we can't be absolutely confident that he can triumph, or you could say win, over all of his enemies, human and supernatural. So our prayers would be weak and without confidence. If God doesn't rule, absolute, absolutely, right? Here's the biblical foundations for this, 2 Timothy 4, 7. Paul says, I've competed well. I finished the race. I've kept the faith, right? Some of your versions may say, I fought the good fight. He's talking about battle. He's talking about work, grinding it out. Yeah, He's at the end of his life. His life's been a battle. It's been a fight. It's been a working battle, grinding fight. Nobody makes it to the end of their uh, life in, as a Christ follower without this kind of competing battle, right? A battle for one love because you're surrounded by so many en- enemies inside and outside of your soul that don't want you to finish well. Satan doesn't want you to finish well. No way. He wants you to biff it. Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, verse 13, he said, you'll be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So endurance is so key when it comes to life in Christ. We must endure. So Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27, he says, so I don't run uncertainly or box like one who hits only the air. Instead, I subdue my body and make it my slave so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So Paul saw his his whole ministry, his whole life in ministry and doing what God asked him to do, his role as pummeling his body, beating it down, what it would tend to rise up in rebellion against the kind of stresses that he had to live under in order to be an ambassador for God. He saw it as a big war and a big battle. He kept saying no to his body. I bear in my body the marks of Jesus, right? He said, I die daily to myself. He says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, for though we live as human beings, we do not wage war against human standards for the weapons of our warfare are not human weapons, but are made powerful by God for tearing down strongholds. We tear down arguments, right? 
his whole ministry, his whole purpose and mission with his life was lived out in terms of war, everything about it. He lived through tremendous obstacles, enemies and oppositions. I thought it just happens. That, that was his way of life. And the only way he would make any headway in the world and in his, uh, with his purpose in life in Christ is to be a successful warrior. He had a wartime lifestyle. Ephesians 6, you're there, right? Verses 12 and 13. Let's kind of look back at that, those two verses again. We'll keep going. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, verse 12, right? But against the rulers and the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day and having done everything to stand. So you got to put on these clothes, this armor. <clears throat> this is, when you're, when you're putting on the army of God every day, right? You're wearing a helmet, a breastplate, a big belt, fitting shoes. You got a shield and a sword. That's the way life in Christ should be lived. And yet, now we've walked through this, but yet most everybody doesn't live that way. Now, I know I'm kind of messing, getting, I don't know. I can, I can aggravate you. <laughs> I'm telling you, most people don't put on the armor every day. We get up and put on what we want. We do what we want because we're so rebellious. We don't live this way. This is why we don't have very much impact in, this, in the spheres of influence that we all live in and why we're not finished with the Great Commission that God's given us, right? Almost nobody lives as if life is war. Most of us live as, as if it's peacetime. Now, pandemic aside, I know that's sort of shaken everybody up and made everybody sort of pay attention a little bit differently and given you different perspective. I'm not discounting that. But it's amazing to me how we've gone back already, slipped back into so many of our old habits. We were shook up for a while, you know, but my goodness, you know, now that everything's kind of all kind of, kind of back, you know, we got to battle a few things we don't like and stuff like that. But man, we're right back into our old habits. Listen, in wartime, we're armed. We're vigilant. We're alert. In wartime, we don't spend money uh, the way we used to spend money on uh, when, when it's peacetime. Most of us just don't understand sort of the bullets kind of war, right? It's just over there. The conflicts are over there, and very little of us, a small percentage of us, are affected by it. But in wartime, there's a strict seriousness. There's a strategic way of using everything. Everybody stocks up and cuts back. In wartime, it touches everybody. In wartime, luxury liners become troop carriers. Have you ever heard of the Queen Mary? It's parked off a, a, off a pier in Long Beach, right? The Queen Mary. It's a luxury liner old warship or cruise ship, right? But the Queen Mary was once, um, it's a luxury liner. It, it was co-opted in World War II, and it became a troop carrier. I don't know if you know that. It's part of the reason why it's so cool to tour. 
Parts of it are divided up so that you can see the way it's designed when it was a luxury liner and the 10-piece silverware settings, right? And one nice, huge, big berth um, for each room, right? And then across the hall, you can see the way it was set up with 10 bunks, 10 high in the rooms, and how it carried 10,000 soldiers instead of 1,000 people on a luxury vacation. It's an unbelievable thing to tour. That's the way things change in wartime. It's amazing how you can get 10,000 guys on one ship. That's meant to be a luxury ship, right? We got a, we got a really bad enemy that's far worse than it used to be. And I'm just talking about how we reach back way back to people like that guy, Hitler. He was like the worst. But the warfare that's happening today is global. It's in every town, every city, every neighborhood. And the casualties don't just lose arms or eyes or even your earthly life. They lose everything and they lose it forever in hell. And until people believe that life is war and that, and that the stakes are higher than, than they ever have been, and it's more urgent, then we're going to go on living as though things are fairly peaceful and life is not seen as war. And we don't pray when, we are, when that's the way we live and that's our perspective. We don't really pray like it's wartime. Hardly any of us do. Don't tell me. I'm the pastor. I know. If it were wartime and your kids were on the front lines in real bullets kind of wars every day, and they posted about 80,000 casualties every day like they did in World War II, you'd pray. But your kids are not really in that kind of danger. We're not really in that much danger as far as you can imagine. So we don't really pray like that. Yeah, we pray when we got cancer and when we feel like we need stuff. And I, you know, we pray for travel mercies. Oh, that makes me so mad. Don't ask me to pray for travel mercies or you're going to get a sermon. <laughs> Here's the connection between prayer and wartime. Let me just read some verses towards the end of Ephesians chapter 6. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplications. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. See, prayer is a battle and a fight. One of the very last, very sad things that Jesus said, that he ever said, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 26, verse 40. He comes to the disciples and he found them sleeping. You remember that part of the story? In verse 49, he says to Peter, so couldn't you just stay awake with me for one hour? Stay awake and pray that you'll not fall into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And there's another connection between war and prayer found in John 15, 16. That's the verse. And that's the verse that changed my life and my thinking as a young man. John 15, 16. This will change you if you... Do some work and absorb it. Let me show you. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that remains so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Man, that verse is packed. And there's some truth there that we need to draw out. Here comes one of the most stunning, logical connections to prayer that if ever 
that I've ever seen in the New Testament. Start over, watch it, watch, watch. Just use your mind here. You've turned there. Watch this verse unfold. Here it comes. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that remains. Here's the purpose. I've appointed you, and I've, I've sent you to bear fruit. That's what I've done. I chose you. I appointed you to bear fruit. Here's the purpose, he says. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. You catch that? What is that? That's weird logic, odd logic. I don't know. We don't focus on that Porsche. Uh, that part, I chose you, I sent you, go bear fruit for me in order that your prayers might be answered. When I read that, when I read that again, it just, and you put those pieces together, you, my whole concept of prayers got to be retooled. I don't know about yours. Prayer is for war. He gives us a role in the warfare he puts us on the front lines to defeat the enemy and win back prisoners from the enemy so that we will have something to pray about. You can't slice it any other way. I send you to go and bear fruit so that whatever you ask in, in, in the Father, in, ask the Father in my name, it'll be done for you. You catch it? Here's your fill in the blank. The Father will answer your prayers when you're obedient to Jesus' commission. The Father will answer your prayers when you're obedient to Jesus' commission. But you know what? We treat prayer like it's a civilian entity, and, and we treat God like he's Santa Claus. I mean, honestly. This is not a text message that you're sending. This is two-way radio transceiver stuff. Military equipment. You know the main reason why prayers don't function and don't work with God's people? They cease to just work? Because they're trying to turn wartime radio receiver thing into the domestic text message to call up Uber Eats for tacos. Because we need some stuff. And God gives us what he wants, right? Or what we want. He just says, ask. Instead of calling the commander for fire cover while we engage with our neighbors and our co-workers. We don't do, we're not doing that. If all prayer is for you is to treat God like Santa Claus for a few more things or hoping for some travel mercies, it's not going to function correctly. It's not going to work in your life and you're going to stop doing it except maybe for a minute or two each day because what's the point? And you stop doing it I think, because it's no big deal. I can get along without it. I got emergent care whenever I need stuff and things, whenever I'm not feeling good. I got insurance. I got the grocery store just down the street. I got a car and I got, you know, I got everything I need. So then what's the point of prayer? It's just unnecessary add-on kind of thing. And the reason it's unnecessary and just an add-on is that we don't know that life is war and that war, and, and we don't know what prayer is for. And we use prayer for all the wrong stuff and not what it's intended for. Prayer is a wartime communication tool. You can't, you can't describe it any other way if you read your Bible. It's not a domestic messaging system to call up the store to deliver our groceries so we don't even have to leave our couch. So I, I think the picture here in life in Christ is that when you get saved, you get recruited 
recruited for war, you're saved, you're a soldier, you're pretty much dead weight if you're not thinking like that. He recruits us and he gives us a radio transceiver called prayer. He says, there's one frequency for this. It's a frequency that should be focused, only one. It's a direct connection to the commander, to the king, the sovereign king of the universe. He has the perfect oversight, the lay of the battlefield. He's placed you in the fight on purpose. It's dangerous. The wartime radio receiver is to help with where you're located. It's to help, uh, help you have resources and strength and courage to be in the battle. It's to, to call in wisdom for what words to say. It's to help you call in firepower when the danger's there. If you get wounded, it's to call up for healing so that you can keep on fighting, not just become comfortable. And if you try to change it into an app so that you can request your favorite music or order the things that you need or want while you're busy with all the pleasures you filled your life with, it doesn't work. We all just wonder why. why I don't feel like it works. My prayers just go you know, this far. It's, it's what you're using it for and how you're using it. It's, just, it's, it's silliness most of the time, honestly. I'm just the guy to point it out. <laughs> We've got to mobilize our, prayer, our, our life for prayer. If you want to mobilize your life for prayer, you've got to know that life is war. And you're, you, it, so, so here you go. If you want to get aggravated, just listen. I don't know how else to say it. If you're not praying right now, I'm not going to say, what you need to do is go home and start praying. No, that's not what you need to do. You know what you need to do is you need to go home and get on your knees and open up your Bible and discover what life in Christ is about first. Because here comes your next note. Life in Christ is about a dangerous, life-threatening engagement in overcoming evil in the world. Life in Christ is about a dangerous, life-threatening engagement in overcoming evil in the world. That's what life in Christ is about. You know that veil is full of evil? (laughs) It is. This is a great place to live. It's full of evil, though. Tucson's full of evil. It's in people's hearts. It's in people's marriages. It's in people's kids' minds. It's in racism. It's in unjust structures. It's in business practices that are subtle and selfish. It's in politics and governments with no sense of integrity. Oh, yeah, I know you're right about that. Evil is doing well in the world, and it's especially in the devil and in the hearts of unbelief and all the slavery that's holding people in this community and throughout the Southwest. Let's just talk about where we live, the Southwest. It's unique. It is. It's awesome. It's in cultural Christianity and churches that are do-nothing churches. I don't like to beat up on churches. There's room for all kinds. There's so many churches that are just not doing anything. I don't want to be that church, do you? Just comfortable, feel good, and dress casual, and say nice things, and everybody feels awesome, right? That's evil. It's penetrating our lives and the Southwestern lifestyle and American lifestyle, right? To be called to Christ 
is to be called to do something so radically different, it's dangerous. It's dangerous socially. It's dangerous personally. It's dangerous physically. It's dangerous emotionally. This is difficult. And God is adequate. He'll be with you. All the authority in heaven and on earth is his. He says, go make disciples. If it costs you your life, go and make disciples. He'll be with you to the end of the age. When you know that life is war, you know what prayer is for. There's going to be an urgency in your prayer, a vigilance, an alertness, a perseverance, and you're going to abandon yourself to prayer. That's the first thing we got to talk about before we can talk about prayer. Life is war. Here comes number two. God is sovereign. Oh, man, here we go. He's going to win the war. Okay, I believe that. Now, why is it that embracing God's sovereignty is so important? Oh, well... I said one. I mentioned one, right? I think if you don't have confidence that the war is going to be won by the sovereign God, king of the universe, you're not going to feel a commitment to following hard after him to enable you to be a part of the triumph in prayer. But here's the second one. You won't really feel as though you have the right to ask him to save anybody. If he doesn't have the right to save anybody, here comes your next note. You see, God does not have the right to save anyone unless he has the right to be sovereign over their lives. And we're like, well, I'm good with that. Okay. If he's sovereign over their lives, then he does have the right to save them. Let's talk about this. A sovereign right to save? Yeah. Until you embrace this, you can't pray consistently that he would actually save lost people like Paul does. Paul says in Romans 10.1, 10, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they would be saved. When's the last time you prayed like that? What, what in the world is he praying? When you pray, you're talking to God, and when you pray, you're asking God to do things. What's he asking him to do? Well, I'm headed to Tarsus, so I'm praying for travel mercies. No, he says, save these people. Do you ask God to save these people or do you believe that he has the right to save people? It's a huge question. It's really hard. It's, a really, it's really hard to pray consistently that God would save people. I, I, this is what I believe. If you don't believe that he has the right and the authority to do this, as much as we want to believe that we're fully submissive to the sovereignty of God, I don't think we are. Virtually all of us have areas that we have consciously or unconsciously sort of fenced off or divided off, right? Or compartmentalized as though God could be sovereign in some areas of your life, but not others. Most Christ followers profess to believe in God's sovereignty or the sovereignty of God, but refuse to grant uh, to grant it to operate in every area. Just there's certain places, right? Death is usually assigned um, to a category of God's sovereignty because we don't have any control over that anyway. So we're good with it when it comes to death, right? Disasters, we're pretty good with that too. They're, they're considered to be divine, um, matters of divine sovereignty. Why? Because we, we refer to these disasters as acts of God, right? Much of evangelism, though, refuses to grant God's sovereignty when it comes to salvation of sinful people. As though this refusal to act could change the fact of his sovereignty. They're willing to grant 
God much of the credit for the work of Christ on the cross and the Holy Spirit's work in drawing men to faith, but they're not willing to admit God is in complete control for this. And, but this is precisely what sovereignty is, complete control, total control. What? Yeah, you don't got anything to do with it. The salvation of lost people granted to men, or, or granted, um, men have a role to play in the process. In other words, people have a role to play in the process. But clearly, God is in control, complete control of the process. See, here's where the debate over a relationship the relationship between God and his role in salvation and man may seem to be reserved. You know, like this is stuff that the academics get to argue over. But this isn't true. The sovereignty of God and salvation is really critical. You got anything to do with it or not? Do you, don't, don't misunderstand what's being said here. In order to be saved, men must trust in Jesus Christ as God's provision to save lost people, right? And when they do so, it's because God has given them the heart to do it. We exercise faith out of the heart of God or out of the heart that God has given to, to us to believe. Oh, man. You mean I don't have anything to do with it? No. Those who are saved are saved because God has chosen salvation for them. The Holy Spirit has given life to a dead spirit and understanding to a mind blinded by sin and, and Satan. And those who are saved, you could say, choose God, but only after God first chose them. You know, John the Baptist prays this way. I try to pray this way. I like to pray this way. God, Help me to love other people because I know that the only way I can love anyone is because you first love me. You first love me. I, I can't love anybody on my own because there's people I don't really like. <laughs> Those who are eternally lost are lost because God has not chosen them for salvation. I don't like that. God's not sovereign, though, unless he's sovereign over everything. Okay, now let's not belabor this too much, but let's look at Titus 3.5. Titus 3.5 says, he saved us not on the basis of deeds, not the stuff that I did right, which I've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. He saved us. He saves us. 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul says, but... By doing, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, all churchy words. That just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Why? Because by his doing, you are in Christ. John six forty four. no one can come to me unless what? Unless the father who sent me draws him. And I'll raise him up on the last day. God does have that right. But many people don't believe this. So here it is under God is sovereign. God is sovereign in that in order for prayer to flourish in our mission, in the war and in the battle, for our mission to flourish and to, for us to be successful, we need to believe that God is sovereign and has the right and the authority to save people. And under 
and, and also God's going to win here. He's sovereign in the world. He's sovereign in Nigeria. He's sovereign in India. He's sovereign over America. He's sovereign over Saudi Arabia and Syria and Lebanon and Iraq and Kuwait and Libya and Algeria and Morocco and Chad. Sovereign over North Korea, Cuba and Vietnam. Sovereign over places that seem so hard. Sovereign over China for all, of all things. And Russia and any place else that we think is crazy and just far away. He's sovereign over all that. Psalm 86, 8 through 10. There's none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Genesis 12, 3. And you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. Or in Psalm 2, 8, ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Psalm 22, 7, 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Or Matthew 24, 14, taken in the Old Testament. And this is the gospel of the kingdom. will and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole earth, throughout the whole world, as a testimony to all the nations, and then what? And then the end will come. That's the most authoritative word that Jesus speaks. The gospel of the kingdom will spread under the sovereign hand of my Father, he says, and it will become intelligible, culturally relevant. It'll become testimonies to all the peoples of the earth, all the nations of the earth, and they haven't all been reached yet. And then what? The end will come. In other words, my purposes are going to triumph. All authority is mine. I'm going to get it done. I will involve you in it. If you don't participate, I'll leave you and I'll go someplace else. You don't decide whether the mission gets finished. I decide it. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Join me. Participate in the win and the victory. Leave me, you lose. I will win. I'm God. God is going to triumph amongst all the people. You see how you can't just have some of God to be sovereign? It's he's sovereign over everything or nothing. Well, where's the place of prayer then, Pastor Ben? Life is war and God is sovereign. I get it. I think. If you start understanding that life is war and the stakes are high and that God is sovereign, then he has the right to save and he's going to win this war. That's what the awesome place, then that's, that's where the awesome place of prayer is. Here you go. Here's your next note. God has made the advancement of his purposes and the triumph of his warfare contingent or it, it includes us contingent upon the word of God spreading, and he has made that sure success of the gospel because of prayer. <clears throat> Paul says in Romans 10, 14, <clears throat> how are they to call on one they have not believed, that they have not believed in? And how are they to believe in one they have not heard of? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? <laughs> well, the answer is, well, they're not going to get saved without that. 
So the gospel and the warfare is going to be lost without the preaching of the gospel. We are essentially a part of God's way of getting it done. He includes us on purpose. We are a part of God's way of getting it done. It will come through the mouth of Christ followers coming from places where churches have been planted and established, where Christ followers flourish and then walk across those bridges like we have and get back into the community explaining Jesus. That's his way. And it's not going to spread or happen any other way. There have to be people who will disciple people to Jesus. That's the way he's chosen for it to go. So the gospel is dependent on the warfare and the warfare is dependent on the spread of the gospel. And here's the amazing part. He's guaranteed that it's going to happen. He's sovereign. Isaiah 55, verse 10, for as the rain and the snow came down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That's God. Those are his words. That is his truth. It's contingent on prayers. Purpose is going to triumph because of his word, which he sends through people. It's going to grip the people of uh, the church. That's going to happen. The gospel is going to be preached. And here's the amazing role of prayer. He's made that assured success of the gospel because of prayer. Now look at Ephesians 6.19. Watch how this all ends. What does Paul say after put on the stuff, put on the clothes, put on the armor, get it ready. It's wartime. Get your war stuff ready. You're warriors. That's why you've been recruited. That's why you've been set aside. That's your role. That's your place. What's he say? Pray for me also, verse 19, that I may be given the message when I begin to speak, that I may confidently make known the mystery of the gospel. He wouldn't have asked for that kind of prayer as an apostle, right? If prayer weren't important for this to happen. You know, he asks this in almost all of his letters, Colossians 4.3. He writes to the church, what's he say? Pray also for us that God may open us open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Pray that it happens. I'm out here going for it. 2 Thessalonians 3.1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may, be, may speed ahead and be honored. The word triumphing or winning is because of prayers, uh, the prayers of God's people for the word bearers, the, the people carrying the word out there and preaching and explaining Jesus which means that the ultimate triumph of God in the world is going to be guaranteed by God's guarantee of our prayers. It's connected. You must engage. We've got to pray. God will see to it that people pray. He's made the triumph in his cause dependent on preaching the gospel. He's made the triumph of the preaching of the gospel dependent upon prayers. He's got to make sure that prayers happen, and he's going to, and they will. Are you going to be a part of it or not? You know that part where we like this verse out of the Philippians chapter that everybody loves, right? And on that day, you know, in the end, every knee will bow 
and every tongue will confess on heaven and earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. We love that verse. Every knee will bow. Here's, what, here's, here's the choice. You want to be forced to kneel or do you want to kneel willingly? Every knee's going to bow. Everybody's going to kneel. So you can resist, he'll find somebody else. Prayer is dependent on God. He is sovereign. Pray to the Lord night and day. It's one of the most striking prayers or texts on prayer. Matthew 9, 38. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Why? People need to know Jesus and they need the good news and the gospel. Pray, pray. kind of ends abruptly. I don't know. I got to the end of my message and I said, <clears throat> that's all I got. <laughs> it's the truth. Pray because life is war and God is sovereign. Pray. We got to pray. That's why we've been recruited. Lord, teach us. We don't want to be one of those do nothing churches. Gosh, I don't want to be that. What a sad thing. So many churches are like that. I I don't want to be critical of them. Wake them up. I don't know what it's going to take. But I think that there's got to be these things that undergird prayer. We got to understand that we're in battle. It's dangerous. It's ugly. It's awful. And it's not generally the battle we think it is a lot of times. But we got to be people of prayer. Motivate us, inspire us, teach us to pray God. It's such an important place in this life of war. God, you are sovereign. Make sure that we have you in this right perspective in our worldview. We pray this in Jesus' name because without it, it's just all about us. We're praying this because this is truth. We're praying this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good day, you guys. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.